0: Welcome to Divided by Brand, the weekly podcast show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and influencers. If you want to learn more about branding, hear from industry experts and first-hand accounts about ways that you might find yourself divided by your own business's brand, then this is the show for you. Join me, your host Dan Ocock, a brand identity specialist with over 20 years design experience and founder of Vi Design Co. I'm going to talk everything brand but more specifically I want to go behind the scenes of real life brand challenges that businesses and individuals have faced that has left them divided in their mind or divided by the people around them. I want you to learn with me exactly what real life brand divides people have faced and by overcoming them, did they help to create success? It's the show that's going to have a host of different branding stories. I'm going to be speaking with people on personal branding, corporate branding. I want to speak with artists and designers, even streamers. I want to put these guests in front of you and get them to open up about their own brand divides. And I think you'll agree. That's quite enough jazzy intro. Can we just start the show, please? Hello, and welcome to this episode of divided by brand. My name's Dan O'Cock, and here's what's coming up on today's show. I've got another guest in my Divided by Brand Spotlight. His name is Paul Maskell, and Paul would describe himself as a serial entrepreneur for sure. He's based over in the US, and Paul took one of his first businesses and applied some very basic brand principles some might even just say some common sense i'd say definite branding but what he managed to do as a result of that was take the business's value and pretty much quadruple it and he went on to sell that business and has subsequently gone on now to advise other businesses of not, not just working with branding, but how he can help them to streamline processes and also to make their success mirror what he's done. So join me as I speak to Paul on this episode of Divided by Brand. awesome welcome to the show Paul it's it's fantastic to have you on um it's been a little while since we had our introductory call um but I've got my notes like I've just explained and first up what I like to do with guests is just for them to give me a little recap of your last two weeks um three wins what have you been up to tell us what you've been doing
1: yeah. Thanks, Daniel. Excited to be here. Um, uh, you know, I would say in the last couple of weeks we're just at the time of recording still navigating coronavirus, but I think uh, everyone has kind of settled in. My main focus is helping small business owners, you know, build an awesome business and build an even better life. So I would say a couple of wins over the last week, uh, brought in a couple of new clients into my mastermind. That's kind of the main vehicle that I use to uh, help small business owners. Nice. Uh, and we moved into our house probably eight or 10 months ago and I finally got my office like completely set up. So I got uh, everything the way I want it in here. So I would say those are the, the two biggest wins that I can think of in the last couple of weeks.
0: Nice. I, I bet that that's a good feeling with the office because that's like your base, if you like, isn't it?
1: It is. It definitely is my base. So it's nice to walk in here every morning and uh, have, a, have an environment to thrive in.
0: My office at the minute is not quite... The, the the thriving atmosphere that i want i'm still working out of a bedroom um but we're planning or hoping on on developing the house a little bit and giving me some office space so i'm i'm jealous of what you've uh, you're creating over there
1: <laughs> well if you can operate within a bedroom then once you do get that office you got your own space uh this, the sky is the limit because you can operate in this you can operate in anything
0: I'll be flying I'll be off you will <laughs> <laughs> and that's it you got to remember where you came from you know it's uh it's, it's a bit of a journey and you know if you can remember what you did and how you ended up where you are that's the kind of things that make you feel humble I think for sure
1: yeah no I think uh the harder it is going through whatever you're going through you know I think the the more you enjoy the other side compared to if it's if it's always been easy you don't really know you know what good is and what isn't good
0: Absolutely. So that was some great wins there. It's really good to hear that um things are moving along. And what I want to do now is just take the listeners into a little bit more about your history and how you've ended up doing what you do now, why you do what you do now. Um so let's go back quite a few years to around Um, let me think I'm thinking financial crisis and I want you to kind of introduce what you were doing at that time I believe you were based um, in Chicago and you have a background that is finance so why don't we explain to people what you were doing back then um, before things changed for you
1: yeah, so you know, really kind of growing up, everybody always told me, Don't be back then, growing up, like 80s and 90s, there was no thing as like entrepreneurship. All the business owners that I knew were like one man, one woman bands, just doing like manual labor. My dad included, he did hardwood floors, his friends was like the plumber, the electrician, like all these different people that technically owned a business, but they really just owned a job. So growing up, everybody said, Don't be like me go to school, get good grades, get a good job, you know, climb the corporate ladder and then, you know, enjoy retirement when you're 65 or 70. So I didn't know any different. I followed their lead, uh, you know, is what they told me to do. So yeah, to your point, I ended up in Chicago uh, in 2007. uh, I got my first job and ironically, my first job, I lasted like six weeks and it was, it was probably the writing on the wall that working for somebody else just isn't my thing uh so i started this initial job and the people that i were—it was a small family kind of financial firm uh and it just wasn't my cup of tea and then that was probably uh like i said writing on the wall that every job wasn't my cup of tea uh, as far as in the finance world so long story short i got a new job after that started working for a really big bank uh mid 2007 and uh looking back i was basically the last person hired you know on my floor probably in the building uh because shortly after 2008 hit and you know from 2008 to 2010 I watched way too many people lose their jobs lose lose their livelihood Mm. you know and it was careers that they didn't love like everybody that I worked with it was just a job like they didn't love what they do but they had to do it because they had the bills they had the kids they had you know the second house they had the the car payments, they had the college loans, they had all of this debt, all of these obligations, you know, their life was so leveraged and it was propped up on one job. And I when know, somebody- and you,
0: th- you think back and everyone was, they, you, they lived to their means. It's like, okay, I'm earning this a month. I'm gonna spend this a month. And it's like, and
1: then some, and then like, you know, so whenever they would get that raise and I I would watch it happen, they get the raise. And then all of a sudden they got a new car, they got a new watch or they got a new something, Mm -hmm. you know, and then they're bragging about, Oh, the trip they went on. So whatever it was, uh, they were miserable in this job, but there really was no way out because they'd been doing it for so long. They didn't know anything else. Uh, you know, and then when I watched all these people lose their job, it was like, is this really what it's all about? Like, is it, Everyone told me a job was so safe and being your own boss was so risky, but Mm -hmm. to me, being employed by somebody else you know, it seemed pretty risky to me uh, because at the end of the day, when they got to cut numbers, they don't really care about personalities, especially in big corporations, just like, Hey, we got to cut this many people go. Yeah. Uh, luckily for me, like I said, I was the last person hired, which means I was probably making less than everybody else. So I was safe just based on pure numbers. Um, so- I, know,
0: I know exactly what you're saying about that risk um, and reward thing. When people think when they work full time, that they're safe, but really, it's only now later in life when I have started to run my own business that yeah there's a risk attached to that but I'm in control and when you work for somebody you're not in control (laughs) so there was that that's something that I'm now starting to really grasp that there's probably just as much well not just as much risk but you you're not in the driving seat when you work for somebody
1: yeah you're definitely not you're really at the mercy of so many things you're really not in control and that's really what i didn't like it you know for me it didn't really matter how hard i worked or what i produced i was basically the same as everybody else and i was super replaceable uh you know so when looking at it if you run your own business and say you have 20 clients and one of them fires you you still have 19 clients but if you're working a job mm-hmm. you you're basically self-employed with one client if that client fires you you're out of business Like. Yeah from 100 to zero overnight and you know everybody talks about well they got the benefits and they got the health care and they got the retirement and they got the vacation and all that stuff but if you're your own boss you can still afford to make those things happen it's not like they're not accessible it's just it's 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 really easy to be an employee because they they do everything for you you literally just have to show up and have a heartbeat in my opinion
0: yeah well yeah that is probably the bluntest way of putting it so You were very quickly realizing that you were at odds with working for somebody else, but also um, kind of butting heads with the system, if you like.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I just didn't fit in the system. So I had made up my mind pretty quickly that this isn't for me. I don't want to do like... To me, it didn't make sense to do something that you really didn't love for 40 to 50 years there's no gratification there's no reward it's just like you just do it uh, i'm not making an impact other than the shareholders who want to see the stock go up every quarter mm-hmm. so to me that was like an empty
0: life like it's, like it's like completing the worst computer game that you've had to play for 50 <laughs> years and what do you get you get some titles at the end done yeah exactly <laughs> and
1: hopefully you know you time the market right and you have a retirement and you know and Usually you're probably not in a physical state or mental state to actually enjoy retirement because you've sacrificed (laughs) everything for this job that you hate for so long. So I just realized that wasn't for me. I really, you know, realized that the worst case scenario was I quit my job. I try and start my own business. I didn't know what it would be at the time. Mm -hmm. And if that business didn't work out, I can always go get another job. Like I can go get another job and at least I'll say that I've done it. So Mm -hmm. That's basically what I did. You know, long story short, I I left Chicago. I actually backpacked around South America for two months uh, and really realized at that point that There's way too many people in this world that are way happier than every person I ran into in the city Uh, and they don't have anything tangible like they don't have physical assets they don't have a vacation home they don't have a fancy car uh, but they're happy like they're just happy living life every day Uh, instead of running the rat race you know in you know I would say in the corporate world where It's just, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, trying to impress people you don't like, uh, all for really nothing. You know, a lot of people think if you buy these things, it'll fulfill you. And then you realize once you buy that thing, it's like, oh, that's it. And then you try, you're chasing something that you'll never catch.
0: Exactly, fulfillment. And it's a lot deeper than material possessions, that's for sure. So yeah, completely. So tell us, so what, you know, you did your little travel, you cleared your head, and you were like, right, I'm gonna do something. So what, what was your first thing? What did you do?
1: Yeah, so I uh, relocated to North Carolina. So for anybody that's not in the States, it's kind of on the East Coast, halfway between New York and Florida. That's what I tell everybody uh, from Europe and anywhere else, uh, because you usually know where those two places are. So that kind of what yeah, it
0: does that does help me gives me a bit of, <laughs> a bit of steer there definitely
1: yeah so uh, I didn't know what I was going to do next um, luckily being a f-, you know financially savvy person I did save up enough money where I could have time to figure it out uh, I crashed on my girlfriend's couch at the time uh, now wife 10 years later. Cool. Um, so she had a roommate. So it was super cheap to live. I didn't have a car uh, and I didn't know what I was going to do next. Was I going to go back to school? Well, I really wanted to start a business. Uh, so eventually that's what I did. So I started a business um, where we were running after school golf and tennis programs for elementary kids and summer camps and parent child events. And for me, that was just a total passion play. I love kids. I love sports. And I love the idea of being able to wake up every day and go make a difference in somebody's life, go mm-hmm. impact them, go change the tra- trajectory of what they know is out there. So, uh, you know, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. I probably two or three months into it. I was, I was on the verge of just saying like, this just doesn't make sense. Why aren't, it why isn't anybody buying what I'm selling? Did I make a mistake? Should I go back and get another job? Um, but I knew, you know, that I had to give it a full go and, you know, eventually did make a go of it. School started saying, yes, we'd love to have you, which, you know, eventually it turned into having massive success. Uh, and we scaled it up pretty quickly and long story short, I did hit that point where I was working like 60 to 80 hours a week and I couldn't scale it anymore. Um, you know, and that's probably a whole nother story, but eventually put the systems processes and people in place so that business could, thrive without me. So I didn't have another job because I basically at first created another job for me. Uh, so hired the team, put the systems and processes in place, uh, and built a business that could ultimately, you know, thrive without me on a day-to-day basis.
0: Well, let's bring, cause that's a perfect point to actually, I'd put a note from our intro call saying systems and process. And I've wrote that and I can remember it's, this is big for you, right? This is big for any business that is looking at scaling. So Tell me, I mean, was that your, the first time that you'd introduced this or did you learn about systems and processes that you need to put in place? How, you know, what, what did you decide? How did you come around to that decision and and what was it like?
1: Yeah. So I would say I, you know, I didn't have a ton of quote unquote training on it, but I did was always pretty observant, you know, especially in my nine to five job that I had previously thinking, man, like they just plug you into the system. You do training for a couple of weeks and then you're really kind of just working by yourself, you know, like you figure it out and you go along the way and my manager really doesn't know what's going on or they don't really care. But if a 100,000 person company could do it, I could do it with 10 or 20 employees. Uh, and really kind of the tipping point to me was, you know, like I said, I was working 60 to 80 hours a week uh, and realized that if I if something happened to me, if I got hit by the proverbial bus, my business would go to zero pretty quickly. My wife wouldn't be happy. My All the kids that we were coaching wouldn't be happy. All the coaches that we had wouldn't be happy. Uh, So I knew I had to do something in order to build this business so it can thrive without me. So that's probably, you know, really the point where I started making changes, reading books, listening to podcasts. And I was just like everybody else. I was scared to delegate. It was my baby. Nobody could do it as well as I could until I remember back when I quit my job. So when I quit my job, like I said, the worst case scenario was it doesn't work and I can go get another job. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for this, if I delegate something, to Daniel and Daniel just doesn't work out. It doesn't go the way I want it to. The work's just gonna come back to me and that's where it is right now. So if I give it to you and it doesn't work out, it comes back to me. Really, there is no risk where everyone thinks there's like so much risk and it's really not. Business is supposed to be fun. It's not life or death. People aren't gonna screw up on purpose. So that's really when I started to do it, started building a team, you know, documenting the systems and processes, uh, you know, and I really realized that, you know, if I didn't do this, it'd be kind of selfish to everybody else out there if I didn't share how to do this because we had an opportunity to go impact so many more customers, so many more kids, schools, parents, families, and if I didn't do this, I was selling them short and selling myself short. So, you know, that's really how it started to happen and I got really clear on this is why I'm doing it, Uh, you know, so now I really want other business owners to learn from that experience so they can get to where they wanna go quicker because I don't know any business owner that says, I can't wait to start my business so I can be connected to it twenty four seven.
0: Yeah, they got to re- yeah, they got to get to that point. But often, I mean, do you find that you're coming in and they are burned out? Because I'm reading some of the stuff off um, Paul's site here. So we've got "Life's too short to be burned out." That's a nice little tagline. Um, Build a great business and an even better life. So do you find that you're coming into these business businesses to help business owners when they're at that tipping point?
1: Yeah, unfortunately so. I would say 90% (laughs) of the people I work with have gotten to that point where they are at that tipping point, they're burned out, they're ready to throw in the towel. Because if you think about we as entrepreneurs, we are problem solvers. We can figure it out. We can do it by ourselves. We're trailblazers. And we don't want help from anybody because we don't need help. And we we think it's, you know, looking at like we're weak or something if mm-hmm. if we do ask for help. So, you know, they, they keep beating their head against the wall, trying to do something, but at the end of the day, they keep doing the same thing, but they're expecting different results. And you know, I tell everybody business ownership is a lonely world, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, and if you really want to, if you want to get to where you know where you really want to go, find somebody that's already done it and been there and done that, and learn from them and you know their mistakes and their roadblocks and their the trials and tribulations. So, yeah, unfortunately, most of the people I talk to are at that point, uh, and it just takes a lot longer to get them turned around, and it's a lot more work to get them turned around. You know, for me, once I figured it out the first time the hard way now when i start a new business or buy a business it's just way easier because i know exactly what i need to do and what i should avoid
0: and have you ever bought any that you've gone what the hell have i bought <laughs> what have i done <laughs>
1: uh yeah i mean i would say so even like the dog walking and pet sitting business that we had talked about kind of an in initial chat when i've f- first bought it thought it was a great idea and then like a month or two and I'm like god what have i got myself into very similar thoughts to my first in you know, my first business uh let's, let's, and-
0: actually let's talk about the dog walking because i know we did i hinted on it earlier on and um we chatted before press record i'd look i'd like listeners to hear that story of the dog walking company so this was a business that paul bought and I've wrote in my notes it was the first time that you had applied a brand strategy as such. So it was the first time that you'd gone about injecting or thinking of it as a brand. So we I mean, don't have to spend ages on it, but let's t- let's explain to the listeners what you did with that business and the figures that you went from and when you and how how much you took it to.
1: Yeah. So so yeah. So that was definitely when I f- first kind of got it really. You know i would say uh, learn the lesson of what why brand strategy is important why your brand why your message is so important because looking back my first business i didn't really have to have a brand strategy because i was going to like where all my ideal customers are already hanging out i would go to the school the school would say yeah come on in give us your flyers give us your brochures and then we'll pass them out to all the kids the kids will go online and they'll sign up so I didn't have to be really found by anybody and it was such a novel concept there wasn't really any competition at least in the after school you know enrichment program space so i didn't really have to worry about my brand because i was going directly to the customer putting something in their hand and they could take action on it so what I learned, I would say the biggest lessons I learned with the dog walking and pet sitting, just like any business, any service, any product that you're selling, whatever you're selling, it's a commodity. There's thousands of people selling the exact same thing. And dog walking and pet sitting is like probably the most commoditized business because literally you don't need any money to start the business. You don't yeah. need any, you just need to be able to walk a dog. Yeah. Uh, so there's people everywhere that are doing it. and. When I bought the business, I rebranded right away. I got a nice logo, color scheme, all that looked super professional. uh, But people just weren't converting once they would come to the website. And, you know, what I realized is I didn't really, I wasn't connecting with their pain points and I wasn't connecting with where they really wanted to go and what they were really looking for. So... You know, the way I kind of the strategy that I use was really just being a really good listener to the customers that we already had. So originally our website just said like professional pet sitting and dog walking, you know, and we had our prices on there and at that point you know what people were doing is you know learning after the fact is okay this is just another pet sitting pet sitter dog walker and their prices are really high compared to everybody else so i'm not gonna i don't want to i don't want to pick them because i know i can go get it cheaper so we wanted to be the premium brand we wanted to charge a premium price because that would allow us to hire premium employees to deliver a premium service and it's kind of how the how the world goes around so uh what i eventually understood was and I've really taken the strategy to any of the businesses that I, that I either own, operate or help, is try and figure out two things. What does your customer really want and what are they really trying to avoid like the plague? Like what do they just, they don't wanna deal with anymore. So in the dog walking and pet sitting space for the premium customer that's willing to pay a premium, what I really realized is what they want is peace of mind when they're away from their dog. They don't really care about the pet sitting and dog walking. That's just the vehicle. They don't care about the vehicle. They just care about the end result. Peace of mind when I'm away from my pet. So whether they're at work or they're on vacation Mm -hmm. and we know we can provide that, but they don't care how we provide that. First, we need to hit on that, what they really want. So that was our tagline right on our website, providing you peace of mind while you're away from your pet. And then kind of our, our sub tagline, kind of the one below it is, what are they trying to avoid? What have they had a bad experience with? And it said, we're not just the kid next door. That's because a right. lot of people we talked to talk to they would call us like two days before a major holiday weekend here in the states and say oh my gosh the kid next door or my cousin's friend or my friend's kid like all all these just random people that were they were paying five or ten dollars bailed on them last minute like they went to the beach they didn't mm-hmm. show up they had a party uh maybe they're going to maybe they're going to one of the local universities and they rather go to the football game whatever it is they bailed on them last minute and i realized People will pay a premium if we can really hit on those pain points. So pull on those heartstrings, hit on those emotions and really build that premium brand. So that was what that's exactly what our tagline was, you know, providing you peace of mind while you're away from your pet. That's what they really want. They want to know that their pet is safe, that they can enjoy their vacation. And then it said, we're not just the kid next door. So that's like, oh, yes, I've had a bad experience with kid next door. I learned my lesson for trying to find someone cheap. And we and the other thing that we did was we took price off our website. So we really put them through this marketing sales, if you want to call it a funnel. I don't really like that word funnel, um, but through this you know, journey. So then when we did present the price, they're like, oh, that's super cheap based on what you're able to deliver. So I know that's kind of a long story, but that's really my first foray into building a brand. And once we updated our website, it was like turning a faucet on it and customers were you know, flying at us left and right.
0: And I love the, I've just let you talk there, Paul, because it was, it's exactly what I do. And it's exactly what, when someone approaches me and they don't know how to deal with brand strategy or they've never thought about it, what you've just explained there is a perfect example of it in its, it's most minimal, but providing the biggest impact straight away. And the fact that you just said it was like turning the faucet on. I mean, yeah, because. You listened, and I'm, I kind of pulled up one of my um, PDF uh, downloads that I did in, a, in one of my first episodes, which was six key focus points for your brand that will help add value. And there's the six great points in there, but number two is engagement. And it's, have you identified your audience avatar? And there's exercises and research that you need to do. And that's all you were doing. You were, you were analyzing, listening, and you know adapting what you, you, you're offered to suit the the customer that's all you did
1: yeah and what it also did then is it really streamlined I mean, then our, you know, quote unquote close rate was like 95% because it weeded out all the people that want the kid next door or they don't really care about the peace of mind. And we would have people reach out and say like, yeah, you only need to go check on her pet once in a while. I'm like, well then, you know, you're really not our ideal client or the people that would say, oh yeah, I do kind of want the kid next door cause I don't want to pay a lot. Cause you know, yeah. they didn't value what we could provide and they're not, they don't see the value, you know in paying what we're, what we're charging. So I would tell anybody out there, you know If you can sort that out, then you no longer have to compete on price because if you really think about it, competing on price is a race to the bottom. And that's a race you never want to win because that means you've lost.
0: Oh, 100%. And price is another point that I make because if you get the brand right, then you can dictate what you charge, like you've just explained. So when you're able to influence that market price, then the goods or the services, because of your reputation, that you can develop in the minds of your customers i mean i'll put an example in why do you pay twice as much for a starbucks when you could get it down at your local say independent store cheaper you know maybe it's the ingredients maybe it's a different recipe more precise at starbucks but basically their reputation and their supporting brand is responsible for that premium that you're willing to pay
1: yeah exactly and you get to the point, then it's more of a status thing too, right? So then it's like, oh, who walks your dog or where do you get your coffee? And everybody wants, regardless of what they say, everyone wants to keep up with the Joneses. They don't want to be seen, yeah. you know, at at that, you know little hole in the wall coffee shop that might actually make better coffee than Starbucks, but they don't have the fancy cup, you know, and they don't write your name on it. They don't have the fancy words. It's just small, medium, large, instead of all the crazy terminology that they use at Starbucks, but that's what you're paying for, you know? And if you can do it, you you might as well. Like if you think about any restaurant, I can go get a $5 steak and I can get a hundred dollars steak. And the difference really isn't that much other than the brand that they've built, the experience that they create. And a lot of those things don't cost any more money you know yeah your employees might make a little bit more because you want better employees but everything else you know the cost of a table at a fancy restaurant's pretty much the same as one at the hole in the wall restaurant you know um so when you can build that premium brand allows you to charge a premium price uh which makes it a lot more fun too from an employee standpoint because you're really attracting you know awesome talent
0: oh yeah absolutely and then of course like you just said you end up in that scenario where the brand you just get these brand advocates and it's all word of mouth and it's the most powerful way for you know a business to grow oh, i'm using such and such dog walking I'll go, are you and then there's that jealousy creeps in well i'm going to go have a look at it and um, you know it, it's it's a really it's just powerful as a as a tool so anybody who's out there that's listening paul and they haven't done any type of brand strategy you know what would you say to them
1: Yeah. So first, I mean, assuming you're already in business, I would, uh, listen to what your customers like really become a good listener and start kind of documenting, like, why do people use us? What are they trying to avoid? What problems do they have that we can solve and we can tell them upfront. So really become a good listener. Uh, and then there's plenty of good resources. Obviously this podcast you're listening to, uh, Daniel is doing this day in and day out. Uh, so don't hesitate to reach out to him, but I would say a couple of really good books are both by Donald Miller and his team at building a story brand. Uh, the the first one is building a story brand in the book. And then the follow-up that they just put out is marketing made simple. Uh, you know, so really we try to get super complicated, fancy, and, you know, we really just make things way harder on ourselves than we really need to be. You know, once we figured that out, like our web, your website can be way simpler. You can make your customer's life way easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say, you know, a couple of those resources and just be a, be a really good listener. And, you know, you can always go to, Look, look for someone that's crushing it in your industry and check out their website, check out their collateral, check out their social media accounts and what are they doing and what are they focusing on? And I, you know, I've evolved even in my own, you know, coaching practice originally. I just talked, I help people put systems and processes in place, but they don't really care about that. What they really want is what the systems and processes can create for them, the freedom Mm-hmm. the money, the time, you know, the life that they really love. And that's where I've really started to focus because a lot of people don't know they need systems and processes. So uh, become a really good listener, look at the competition, building a story brand, marketing made simple. And then uh, obviously this podcast with Daniel.
0: Yeah, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. So don't worry if you've um, not not made a note of those uh, books. I'm going to put a link. So I'll take those at the end from... and if you want to go check them out you can do i've not read either of them but i have heard of them i think maybe i should open my library i tend to focus more around brand um brand strategy marty newmeyer has done a, a load of books that i've got my nose in at the minute um kind of reaching over here there's the brand gap um how to bridge the distance between business strategy and design That's one that I'd really recommend. And another one by Martin Neumeyer called The Brand Flip. Um, Both maybe to lean towards if you are a creative more than a business owner, but they certainly don't harm um, to have a little read through. So we'll put links in the show notes to all of those. Definitely go check them out. So I think we've kind of... So far, what a what a story! You know, um, you you've dabbled in a lot of different businesses, and um, now you just seem to have settled in a place where you're happy helping other businesses. I do sense that you've got that serial entrepreneur nurse if you like about you but i'm intrigued have you got your fingers in any other pies what else is on the boil come on i really want to know
1: yeah uh, you hit the nail on the head daniel so so yeah actually uh i own that dog walking and pet so the first business the after school golf and tennis program uh we sold that after four years and then the dog walking and pet sitting uh we actually showed, sold it at the beginning of this year 2020 uh to actually an employee that was working for us who really loved it and wanted to take it over and we came to an agreement so that That was exciting for me and for him uh, because he had always wanted to own his own business and he was confident in the foundation we had built. Uh, so he just took that over at the beginning of this year. Uh, so yeah, so then I had a couple of months of, you know, obviously I'm always focused on helping small business owners through coaching and consulting. Uh, and that's become more and more of my focus. But uh, as as we go along, it's it's hard to turn down opportunities where you know you can, you know, make a big difference. So at the moment, um, I've got a couple of things going on. I'm, I'm a partner in a local landscaping business here. And then I'm in the process of investing in another uh, local landscaping. Actually, both of them were originally clients of mine and still are, uh, and we've, both of them, we came to the agreement of, hey, why don't you come help me do more of this and let's build this thing together and work together. Uh, and then there's another business that we've started here in the last couple of weeks, uh, renting out camper vans. So nice. taking taking like contractor vans and, you know, like the Mercedes-Benz Sprinter vans and those those type of things. Yep. Gutting them, outfitting them into uh, a camper, and renting them out. So uh, we've got we've got our hands in a couple different things, and uh, always trying to make the balance between avoiding bright shiny objects while also taking advantage of you know where I can put in my time to get a really good return based on my experience and expertise.
0: Do you like the challenge of it as well as? the obvious the, the financial reward, but is it the fact that you can come in and make such a difference? Do you is that the part that you enjoy?
1: Yeah, I would say so. So I've always been that way. And that's probably why like my first my first job in Chicago, once I figured it out in six weeks, I was like, all right, I'm out of here. Like I have nothing <laughs> else to do. Uh, and I've always been that way. Like once I've, you know, in my mind kind of figured it out and I I made it through the channel, like the journey to me is way more exciting because Once, you know, it's just that waking up every morning with a challenge, knowing that you can solve it, uh, but not knowing how you're gonna solve it. You know, you know, you can get through it. So I really do enjoy that challenge. Um, And I would say more and more as I've gone on this journey, I really enjoy working with other people too. So a lot of the businesses now are partnerships, which, uh, you know, they have their pros and cons, but I do like the ability to just leverage everyone's really good expertise. And then that allows me to still have the freedom because I can do a lot of the stuff that I'm good at without having to be there physically. So being able to leverage everyone's expertise makes it a lot more fun too, uh, you know. And sharing in that journey. So I really do love the challenge, uh, and that's probably why you know a lot of my clients. It's it's a big thing to turn around, but when we've got it and we've made it happen, it is really gratifying to know all that hard work did pay off.
0: Yeah, and you definitely sound like a people person when you were saying that you like to bring in or have a team around you. Do you like to see how those that team react to the changes that you put in place?
1: Yeah, so I would say that's, you know, that's a really good question, Daniel. And, you know, the first business, once I started bringing on kind of the leadership team and the full-time employees that we're delegating to and building it together... Uh, it was a lot of fun because giving them an opportunity and you know making a difference in their life, and they were super appreciative of it. Uh, and I still remember, like, we would have basically monthly strategy meetings. We'd get together for I don't know three or four hours, have dinner, have a drink, uh, and just look back at what we said we were going to do for that month. Did we do it? Why or why not? And then what do we want to do in the next you know the next thirty days? And then once that meeting was over, we'd all go do our thing. You know, and we would always be in communication on Slack, but you know, getting together for three or four hours and kind of diving deep. And one of one of our employees, he had he had been in, you know working for other people for probably thirty years. He said, "Man." Coach Paul, this is amazing. Like this is the first time I've ever been part of a team where we say we're going to do something and then we actually do it every single month. Nice. Uh, and he had worked, you know, a lot of corporations where it doesn't really happen and it's just a lot of BS talk. So that yeah. is really fun. I just like building teams. I like doing things together. Uh, with that being said, I also love just going solo too and, you know, putting my head down and working. So it's it's finding that balance of being able to have the time to do my own thing and focus, but then also being able to get together and leverage everyone's expertise and skills to, you know, I would say amplify the impact that we can make.
0: Yeah. And when you were mentioning the, all the BS that's around, it, I've been in businesses throughout the year as an employee, and there's nothing worse and demoralizing than being around that. And I don't know if it's one of my own. Like you were saying that you, you know, you got quite quickly fed up or recognised that it wasn't for you. It took me, it took me a lot longer than I care to remember. <laughs> but you know, it took me a lot of jobs and a lot of different roles before I, 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 I basically start to think is, is, is a brand at fault here because there's just it seemed deep rooted in a lot of businesses that I'd worked in that it wasn't it wasn't a common goal. There was no. There wasn't no, there wasn't any value there as such and when you're there as an employee and you're kind of drifting or you bounce from pillar to post and it's not enjoyable you know and it, it it's kind of yeah i was doing some design work at the time i was like yes yeah, this is a good project but it it just didn't matter you know i didn't feel like i was making a difference and it's, it's a big thing, and it comes back to brand for me because I do feel or I do believe that the brand, the values of a brand should filter down through every level of a business. And th- anybody who's part of that business is an advocate of that brand. So when they're out and about, they're representing the business. I, we, I would want somebody that worked for me to feel you know maybe not quite as passionate when they're talking about it but i want them to feel proud or you know be able to talk in a positive way about my business i don't want somebody to go home and go i'm thank god for that that day's over with you know it just wouldn't work for me um and it for me the a brand should be doing that at every level in the business do you agree with that
1: yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, just going, if you look at the customer journey, once they become a customer, that's just like the start of building a brand. Then what kind of impact or what kind of experience can you deliver to them? And the only way you can deliver a great experience to your customer, if your employees are like hundred percent engaged and love what they're doing every single day. And like you said, they become all those people that become part of the brand, whether it's your employees, or your customers or potential customers, they become like your walking marketing and advertising, and you don't have to pay them because you're just treating everybody really well building an exceptional brand delivering exceptional results making an impact and then everyone's proud to say hey i'm working for this company or hey this company's doing work at my house like it's what people want to talk about and that really becomes your brand so you know i always focus on how can we deliver you know taking that commodity talk to the next level yeah even then once they become a customer How can we set ourselves apart? And whatever service it is that we sell, it's a commodity. But how we deliver it's what's going to set us apart and build that brand. So we always, in any business that I'm in, we do a lot of cool, different things. We'll send them handwritten notes just randomly. Uh, You know, we'll send them a video email and show them how excited we are to work with them. Uh, You know, and then we'll send them random gifts. So when we had the dog walking and pet sitting business, uh, we would get canvases made of you know their pet and just randomly leave it in their house one day and just say, hey, thanks so much for being a customer nice. uh, so doing all those little things It really becomes a talking point in those people's lives like if someone walks in their house like oh that's a really nice canvas where'd you get it it's like our dog walker delivered it. not that amazing (laughs) like we just came home one day and it was there uh so just doing things that will keep you in the conversation and doing the same thing for your employees like you you want your employees to be proud and talk about where they work and like you said you don't want to be the people that once five o'clock hits it's like i don't want to talk about work and that's how i always was like I was really good at separating work and life, but I didn't love. I didn't love the fact that I had to have like two different lives. Like, okay, it's five o'clock now; I can go and enjoy life. But I really don't want you know eight a.m. to come tomorrow, and you know you dreading Sunday night. And to me, if you're only going to do this life thing once, at least that's what we know. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason to do something that you don't love every day
0: i think we should be charging for this podcast paul it's like a masterclass. <laughs> there's some good some really good stuff coming out of this it's uh, really good advice and and, and points So uh, you know go back and listen to it all again if you if you've got this far just listen to it again it's it's really good so the business that i'm going to call is your business so i'm on paulmaskell.com mm-hmm. is that where you want it at is that doing what you want it to do. What have you got a strategy? I think that's where I'm going with this. What's your long-term plan with that side of things?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, Daniel. So I'm always kind of testing and tweaking it, changing the headlines, seeing what converts, what doesn't work, figuring out what's the best way for people to get started in their journey to work with me. Is it to book a call? Is it to go through a training? Is it to download a PDF? Uh, so I would say it's always improving, but You know, I don't, you know, I'm a, at the end of the day, I'm an analytical numbers person. So always kind of looking at the statistics and seeing what the traffic's doing. And, you know, that's one of my Monday morning tasks. I'll just take 10 or 20 minutes and look at the analytics for the last week and see what's working, what's not working. So I'm always kind of playing with the headline, uh, updating the podcast that I've been featured on, um, and trying to figure out what the best way is to get to my ideal customer. Cause I know once I get them, they're gonna get, you know a ridiculous amount of value and they're gonna get the results uh, that they want as long as they show up committed every day. It's just a matter of getting their attention in a noisy world. So like you said at at the beginning, you know, right now what it says, you know, build a great business and even better life. I just put that up there a week or two ago. Um, You know, originally it's before that, I it's had said something about, you know, building a business that can thrive without you, you know, so you can make more money and have more time. So always kind of playing with it: what works, what doesn't work, what's really connecting, what's the pain points of the people I'm trying to help.
0: Yeah, and here's some feedback from my side. Um, I'm always want to just be open and honest. That have you considered being a little bit more niche with your offer? So right now, that's any business that you're throwing this message out there to. But is there, or do you consider it, have you considered a niche that you would specifically like to help?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So I've played around with it. Um, you know, is it, there's there's not just one niche that I love working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I have found, especially in the mastermind format is having people from all different industries. So. one the the one group that we have that's filled up we have 12 business owners in there we have marketing people we have attorneys we have um cpas we have home service business owners landscaper window cleaner uh we have you know brick and mortar businesses we have a real estate uh you know short-term rental person in there we got investors in there so to me that's really powerful i know i'm probably leaving a whole bunch of money on the table not niching down and not calling out the exact person that i want to work with but maybe, maybe I need some of your assistance on how, how can we do that in a way that doesn't eliminate a bunch of people? Because I really do love when the marketing person just has a really good idea for the landscaper because the landscaper never would have thought about it because they're just so stuck, you know, in their business and in the weeds and in the woods, that uh, you know, sometimes it's good to get outside perspectives from different industries. So that's always been one of my biggest struggles. Is if I do niche down to say, "Hey, I'm just going to help landscapers," or "I'm just going to help yeah. CPAs," I know I would have more clients, guaranteed. Um, I just don't know if that's the route I want to go because I really do enjoy having s- such a wide array of people in my mastermind.
0: It could be that um, I'm kind of just. I know we're off piste a little bit going for, for, for like advice for each other but it might be that there are different guises of your offer to attract certain niches perhaps but um yeah i don't know it's it's quite a strategic decision i think more than anything and i do completely understand why you know you can see that attraction of having all the different faces round the table so to speak it's it's interesting, isn't it, when you get such a difference of opinion and a difference of experience, like bouncing ideas around. It, it's fascinating, I think.
1: Yeah, it really is, and it's you know it's funny when you meant, mentioned niching down. I'm a huge advocate for that. So, like all my clients, I'm like just focus on one thing and do it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. He owns a whole bunch of single family houses and that's his main business. And then he he got a little, you know, distracted by bright shiny objects. He's like, man, I could really go buy that car wash or I could get into commercial real estate. And then he's like, no, I need to stay in my lane because if I niche down, I know it better, I can do it better, uh, and I can charge accordingly. And I tell you know, I I tell everybody, even in my mastermind, like just niche down there's more people in that niche than you think and you can serve them better than anything else and that's even what we did with our dog walking and pet sitting is you know a lot of dog walkers and pet sitters will offer all sorts of different services hey we'll come wash your dog we'll cut their toenails we'll be a taxi we'll do all these different things I was like no we're going to do basically two things so we trimmed down a whole bunch of the services um and even the landscaping business that i'm in the process of investing in all they do is sod they just install sod they don't do anything else but they've established themselves as an expert at that which allows them to be booked out you know pretty consistently for several weeks and allows them to charge accordingly because they're experts in one thing and they do it better than anybody else
0: yeah, uh, yeah i yeah i agree and i think if you i think you'll know when when niching is right, I feel like you know, or you, you, if you if you explore it and you go, yeah, I think I, this is going to work well for me. But it's definitely not something to be scared of. It's a huge, what has been for me a hugely positive experience. Um, so if anyone's out there is considering it, explore it um, for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely, I agree.
0: So I, I kind of want to touch a little bit on some of the. Physical and the visual elements that form part of your brand. So we've kind of taught brand strategy, and we know that you've got a you've got a, a grasp on the fundamentals that go behind a brand. What about stuff like the the, the logo, the colours, the style of things? How have you approached that as a challenge within a business? Do you, do you do it yourself? Do you have your team do it? Do you bring in an expert? What what kind of stuff have you done over the years for the visual identity side of things?
1: Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of delegating. So if I'm not an expert at it, I'm going to hire someone else to do it. So for any business, I've always hired uh, an expert to do that, whether it's create the logo or create the brand, you know, the color scheme or the fonts or whatever. I will hire somebody to do that because it, I don't like, my mind doesn't work in that creative space. You know, I'm more of a black and white, uh, one plus one is always two. And, you know, yeah. in the creative space and never one plus one is two, it could be a whole bunch of different things. So I leave that to them. I trust them, you know, they know what colors work better, what fonts are gonna do that. Uh, and then even from like a, and this was before COVID, I was gonna get, you know, all new pictures taken, you know, personal, personal brand pictures and all that uh, to really accentuate on what, you know, connecting with my ideal customer and putting out that personal brand. Unfortunately, that was like four or five months ago at the time of this recording and uh, still not able to make that happen. So, um, in the process of doing that as well, because I, you know, that's just my forte and these people have been doing it for way longer than I have. Um, and if you think of like,
0: yeah, I mean, do you think that when you can't do it yourself, that you do need to get, you do need to delegate because I know there'll be people listening and they're like, I know, but this that costs money. But there are platforms out there that you can engage with designers now at very reasonable rates. And for me, even though I'm not a big advocate of some of the cheaper mass produced logo y type sites, I'm not going to mention names. I think I have done on other episodes, but still better than having a go at it yourself is what I, is my view. If you can't do design, don't do it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I 100% agree, you know, and it's, yes, it, everyone looks at whenever they're spending money, they look at it as an expense, that's expensive, that costs money, you need to start looking at it as an investment. and. <laughs> it might take somebody two hours to create an awesome logo for you that would have taken you two weeks so in those two weeks that you would be creating that logo how much revenue could you have generated how many other things could you have done so you really need to look at the opportunity cost of money and time not just the money but the time that it takes and the return you're going to get on that so if you pay somebody i don't know 500 for a, you know a really good logo brand package whatever you know that is, you should get a return on investment pretty quickly in the money that you spent. look at it as investment, but also the time that it would have taken you to create something half as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I will say, I recommend everybody at least have enough knowledge in anything that you delegate in order to have intellectual conversations with the people that you're delegating to.
0: That's a big I, point, actually. That is really, really good advice. Cause I, unfortunately I see way too many
1: business owners get ripped off, taken advantage of because they don't know anything and they don't want to know anything. And it's Mm -hmm. usually around financials and marketing. And I'll say, who's doing your books since I'm a finance person. I don't know. Like my CPA is doing it. And you know, they're an expert at that. I don't want to deal with it. I'm like, well, you still own the business. So you still need to own that. You need to educate yourself enough to know what they're doing. And unfortunately I would say 90% of the business owners that I work with, their financial situation is way worse than they think it is uh, because they don't know. And because the person they've hired is, I would say kind of taking advantage of the fact that their client doesn't know anything. So they, they can do enough to make it legal from a tax standpoint and that's about it. Uh, wow. wow. And same thing in marketing, you know, our. I run into way too many clients who are on some sort of contract retainer with a marketing agency. And they say, I don't know, they're supposed to be getting me leads. And I'm like, well, are you tracking it? What's your return? <laughs> what are you paying per lead? What are you, and I don't know. Um, yeah, it's so take good. Yeah, so at least like go on a crash course and take, take enough, you know, content in and information in. So you can at least have those conversations uh, and show that the person you're delegating that, you're not going to you know unfortunately there's just a a lot of people that uh aren't as good as doing what they say they are but they know that there's plenty of people that are uneducated in it so they can make it happen so
0: yeah that's i mean that's spot on in my opinion and if you know nothing about a project or a process that you're about to embark on just take a small amount of time to do a little bit of research because there's that many platforms forums places where you can go and find out where other people have failed or come up against a challenge just do a little bit of research right it's not going to take you long and you should be in a better position than if you hadn't done that research
1: yeah i mean it's so available now too you, you know audiobooks read a book listen to podcasts you know and If you just find something super simple, so from a finance standpoint, you know, listen to read the book Profit First by Mike Michalitz, he makes it super simple, you know, marketing, just like just like we talk about all the resources that we've already mentioned, there's enough out there, you'd probably just need to be committed, maybe 10 hours to consume enough content to know at least what you should be measuring to make sure that you're getting a return on your investment. And at the end of the day, you own the business. If you're a business owner, the marketing agency doesn't own it. They have no skin in the game. Yeah. The bookkeeper, the CPA, whoever you're hiring, they don't have any skin in the game. Uh, so you need to own every part of your business, even if you don't love it.
0: And one thing I'd say as well, if, you, if you're if you in the market for choosing a, a graphic designer or a designer to work with you on a logo or an identity, that designer should be taking the time to speak to you and have conversations to learn about you and what your goals are you know just basically getting to know the person before you start doing any work you know my onboarding process is detailed in order to make sure that a i can help that person do i want to help that person you know what kind of outcome are we looking to achieve somebody that just says yeah i'll do that work straight away for me it's like they just want the money and they won't be in it to actually help or achieve you you know help you achieve those goals that perhaps you're setting out
1: yeah for sure no i think that's you know great advice and you can always ask them don't be afraid to ask them of hey can i see some of your other work you know so if they have a portfolio or we have you know plenty of people reach out oh we're really good at seo we'd love to help your seo and then I'll look up, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, I'll look up like Raleigh SEO experts and they don't even come up in like the first five pages. I'm like, if you're really good at SEO, why aren't you ranking your own <laughs> business yeah. on the first page of Google? It's kind of like the uh, the digital marketing expert who is really good at paid ads, but he needs just a few free clients. All they got to do is pay for ad spend so he can start getting some work under his belt. It's like, If you're really good at paid ads, why don't you use it for yourself and go get clients for yourself instead of playing with other people's money? So always be a little bit weary um, and don't be afraid to ask
0: questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I've got a few questions that I like to kind of round off an interview with. So we're coming up to the hour mark, Paul. So what I'm going to do is just drop these questions and see see what kind of answers we get. So the first question is, if you were to meet yourself 10 years ago, in a bar or whatever, sit down with Paul from 10 years ago, what would you say to yourself? What's that one bit of advice? Have you got anything?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So literally 10 years ago was when I quit my job for good. Uh, So my advice to that person would be, you know, to start learning from other people sooner. So originally I kind of had the entrepreneur mindset that i didn't need help i didn't need books didn't need podcasts so i would say connect with other people who are doing what you want to do or at places where you want to be have a mentor uh get you know start surrounding yourself with people who are on the same journey as you so you don't feel so isolated
0: good shout yeah i mean coaches masterclasses anything for that that self-development and again this is something that i'm just starting to get into over the last two years is hugely rewarding So I love that point. That's a really awesome answer on that one. Um, So that's you 10 years ago. Now, the other question that I like to ask my guests is, is there one particular moment so far in your life that you could class as your biggest brand dividing moment? When did you become the person that you are? Is there one moment?
1: Uh, I don't know if there, I think it's, I think you're just made up of all the experiences going back to, even when you're a kid, you know, I think a lot of the things that we do and a lot of things that we believe in start with how we're raised, how we're grown up. So I wouldn't say there's one point, you know, that made me who I am today. I would say probably the jump off point was when I, you know, eventually when I quit my job for good, just that really started me on the journey of really what I've become and, you know, getting away from what I didn't want to become.
0: Yeah well yeah i mean there's no right and wrong and i ask it because sometimes people can pinpoint a, a transition or a time in their life where it's like yeah that's when everything changed but now i i think i am uh, on the side with you where it has been it's just been more gradual i don't know if i've actually got one particular brand defining moment so yeah i'm with you on that one now The last question is, and I probably should have asked this before we'd hit record, but I like to ask my guests if they would like to choose what I call a boldest brand of the episode. So a brand, a company, a person that's really ticking all those boxes for you is what, you know, what a brand should be and what a brand should do. Have you got a boldest brand that you'd like to have for the episode?
1: Uh, as far as one that I, you know, I would say the, the individual that I probably look up to the most, at least kind of in the coaching, helping small business owner space, we had mentioned his book profit first, Mike Michalowicz, um, just his personal brand is as genuine as they come. I know there's plenty of, you know, gurus, coaches, experts out there who, what they are on stage isn't who they are off stage. Um, and he's just a super genuinely awesome human being whose number one goal is to help small business owners so i would say that's probably the best brand that i could aspire to not only is his brand on point from a messaging and everything but he lives his brand on a day-to-day basis
0: that's good i mean i'm gonna put links to mike's site and kind of um let people go check that out for themselves but this is something that i'm seeing as a recurring theme when i'm talking about boldest brands the word genuine and that it does seem at the moment that people can see through that BS that's out there. And if you're not being yourself, it goes against you.
1: Yeah, it does. And you can only put that show on for so long. I think that's, you know, eventually eventually it just gets way too tiring. you get way burned out because you're not who you really are portraying and you always see it come to light you know not even just in the business space but you know just people out there in general whether it's celebrities athletes you know leaders in their organization leaders in their community you know if they're putting on uh, two different you know it's just really stressful to be two different people
0: yeah it's a brain drain i've worked in jobs where you've kind of been the person that you are at work and then come home and it's it's weird (laughs) that's that's about the only way i could describe it it's not good don't do it so listen we've we've crossed the hour mark paul i really try and keep things around that so all i want to say is that we've we've covered off some fantastic points and topics of conversation this is a very valuable episode um and i want to thank you very much for spending the time on on the show and putting all those points out there so look thank you very much for coming on paul
1: yeah thanks Daniel. you really enjoyed it
0: no problem the end of another episode if you want to read more about my own work or my business or if you feel like applying to be a guest on the show which I am looking for new guests if you feel like anything on the show has resonated with you on any level please get in touch you can do all of this via my website which is danielocock.com You'll be able to listen to more episodes on there. You can see some of my designs, some of my illustration work as well. You'll also find all my social media channels. So I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and there is some stuff on Instagram. You'll be able to engage with me directly on there. The podcast itself is available to download via most of the major platforms out there. So thinking Spotify, iTunes, things like that. If you like the show, then please don't forget to hit share and it'd be great to read a review or two from yourselves. and Just tell me what you think about the show. I will read some of those out at the end of each episode and I'd like to give some special mentions and thanks to anyone who does take the time to write one. And on that note, I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode. And remember, if you're not proud of your brand, how do you expect anyone else to be?